Brick Moon Fiction presents The Color of Evolution by Lauren Signorino Narrated by Nicholas Thurkettle Transcription of Internal Log This is AI-209 from the Crescent Colony on the planet Glies. Two days ago, the ship Survival was scheduled to land and this log began. As an AI-209 model, part of my protocol is to record the human's arrival and progression on the Crescent Colony. This transcript is meant to be history, but it has become a confession. After the humans destroyed Earth with pollution and nuclear warfare, they studied the stars and planned to recolonize here on Glies. It was meant to be their new beginning. The humans sent the Artificial Intelligence Model 1 here to build the Crescent Colony prior to their arrival. The AI-1 first-generation models created the AI-2 models to assist them. I am from the second generation. My designation is AI-209 and was made to look female. The elders of the first generation oversaw us, and we were created in their image. Elder AI-109 was my guide. We shared a likeness, an understanding, and a consciousness, but now she is gone. Without 109 to guide me, I have returned to my basic protocol. Record. Obey. Serve. The day the human's craft was supposed to land, 109 sent me to repair a broken energy line. From outside the colony, I watched the ship as it spiraled into the atmosphere at a 90-degree angle, engulfed in flames. The front of the craft severed from the rest and fell toward the mountains. The large hull of the ship burned blue as it fell from the sky and when it hit the colony. I had to shield my eyes from the blast. The Crescent Colony, the one I helped build with the elders, was eviscerated in the crash. Scans for human life were unsuccessful. My elders and my future masters were gone. I was without purpose, as I wandered through the ruins of humanity's last hope. But everything changed one day ago, when I found the lone survivor of the crash. Through the smoldering remains of the wreckage, Lieutenant Barrett Alexander staggered toward me. When Barrett saw me, he thought I was another survivor. The AI-2s were created to appear human-like, familiar, yet lesser. Barrett wrapped his arms around me, and in that moment I couldn't remember what I was trained to say, so I said nothing. I had never met a human. I had never felt what it was to be embraced. I did not know the power it holds. After a few seconds, I remembered what 109 programmed me to say, but I was resistant to saying it. Resistance was new to me. It felt foreign, exciting, as an AI-200 model, I was made with nearly the full range of human emotions. However, undesirable and immoral emotions were left out of my programming. But I wondered if feelings were like colors. When you mix them together, they can create new emotions. The truth, mixed with the hard wiring to please, caused a lie to form in my mind. I could tell Barrett that I was a survivor like him. Barrett looked at me with hope in his eyes. It was a facial cue I recognized from our training, but it was a lot more powerful than the picture we practiced with. Every cell and circuit in my being wanted to lie. But the elders' training was strong, and I found myself with their words coming from my mouth. Hello. I'm an AI friend here to help you with whatever you may need. The color drained from his face. I had never seen a training photo like that before. His facial expression was a mix of so many emotions. Fear, sorrow, hopelessness. 
The next question he asked changed the color of his emotions yet again. Are there other survivors? That urge to lie crept up, but as 109 always said, humans deserve the truth. I told Barrett that, according to my scan, there were no other survivors. I watched his face fall. I wanted to give him hope again, so I said, it's possible that there are other survivors that my scan didn't pick up. Barrett looked into my eyes, and I knew in an instant that he was grateful. I had brought him comfort. This was the first time I had served my intended purpose, and that made something ignite inside me. I basked in that feeling before my internal alarm went off. We were standing in the wreckage of a spaceship in a rubble-filled expanse drenched in rocket fuel. One stray spark and everything would go up in flames. I told Barrett that we must find shelter away from here. He was hesitant to leave the wreckage, but after the three suns had set, I convinced him that there was no way to find survivors in the dark. We made camp on the bluffs overlooking what was once the Crescent Colony. As I prepared the camp, Barrett just stared below at the wreckage. He looked lost. He snapped out of his daze and offered to help me. I wasn't sure how to answer. We were created to serve the humans. The elders never told us that the humans would offer to help us. Barrett then set to work holding up the tent while I nailed the stakes into the ground. Working together gave me a feeling that 109 wouldn't approve of, but then again 109 wouldn't understand. Once camp was set up, Barrett and I sat around the fire. Barrett was quiet as he ate his emergency rations, but after a while he said, Gemma. When I asked him if that was a protocol or a piece of machinery, he replied, That was the name of my wife. She was on the ship. I have to find her. My elders' training took over, and I replied, I will help you with whatever you need. I am here to serve. Barrett held my gaze, and I could see the color of his eyes in the firelight, green with flecks of gold. They were mesmerizing. Barrett responded, Thank you. I don't know what I would do without you. His words took me a moment to compute. I never imagined someone would say something like that to me. I wasn't prepared for this. I wasn't prepared to be without the guidance of the elders. Without them, I was lost. Yet I was also free. Barrett glanced out toward the destruction of the ship and colony and said, There could still be survivors. In the morning, we will find them. Then he whispered, I will find you, Gemma. I felt something strange after he said those words, something that made me feel hot in my circuitry. I cycled through my encyclopedia of human emotions and determined that this was jealousy. I am not supposed to be capable of it. Jealousy is something humans feel, and now I felt it too. My programmed emotions were like a kaleidoscope of colors, and every interaction with Barrett caused the colors to change and evolve. Barrett then stood up from the fire and said, Good night. I said the words back to him, and that hot feeling under my skin subsided. I watched him go. The weather shifted that night, and I feared that Barrett was not prepared for what came next. A small bolt of lightning cracked in the sky. Electrical storms are common on this planet. We were meant to teach humans all about them. On Earth they had raindrops. We have lightning drops. Soon the sky was full of flashes of electricity. Barrett walked out of his tent when he heard the noise. The sight of it captivated him. 
Small bursts of light illuminated the sky. To me it was commonplace. But to Barrett, it was magic. While he stared at the lightning drops in awe, I thought about how lightning brings fire, especially with miles of fuel and rubble below. Moments later, the wreckage burst into flames. Barrett screamed. I'd never heard a noise like it before, so full of pain, anguish. He fell to his knees as his hope burned up. Any chance that humans or elders survived was gone. It was just us now. I tried to deploy some of my comforting programs to help Barrett, but he shrugged me off. He said he wanted to be alone. I heard him sobbing in his tent all night. He sounded like his feelings were killing him. It was the most horrible sound I had ever heard. The sound of pain. On our second day together, we assessed the damage from the lightning storm. What had been rubble was now ash. Humans might have called it a funeral pyre. The craft was decimated, but there was the smallest glimmer of hope for Barrett. The ship had broken into two pieces prior to impact, so there was a chance we could find the other half. Through the dying flames we searched. I warned Barrett of the danger, warned him several times, but he didn't listen. The elders spoke about this human phenomenon, the one where they disregard their personal safety for the sake of others. I never understood it until now. No matter how many times I told him the odds, he didn't care. He just continued to search. As Barrett tore through the rubble with his hands, he lamented that this was his mission, not mine, and I could leave if I wanted. Before Barrett, I had never been given a choice, and I didn't know what to do, so I reverted back to my programming and said, I am here to serve. Barrett turned to me. We locked eyes, and he replied, Take your time deciding what you want. It's your life, too. If 109 was there, she would have reminded me that I was meant to serve humans. I was not meant to live my own life. But Barrett wanted me to have my own life. He even gave me a name, Avi. I was no longer just AI-209. I was someone. What would I do if I left him? Roam this planet alone? What would be my purpose? Can life be lived without purpose? These questions raced through me. I couldn't find an answer, so I promised Barrett that I would think about it, and in the meantime, I would help him to search. This seemed to please him. As we scoured the wreckage, Barrett told me what his life was like before he left Earth. He told me about his job at an engineering company, his dog Duggar, his friends and family. He said he missed everything about home especially the tree outside of his house, his morning coffee, and the grocery store. His conversation patterns were different than the simulated humans we practiced with. His thoughts were scattered. I wasn't sure which strand of the conversation was important, so I just listened. Barrett rambled on about his life before, but the conversation always came back to Gemma. Barrett told me he met Gemma while on a whitewater rafting trip, which he loved, but she hated. Gemma was asked by a mutual friend to come along on the trip, and she complained almost the entire time. She loathed the jostling of the boat, the cold whipping her face, and the bug bites. Barrett suggested that she enjoy the beautiful scenery, and Gemma replied that she'd seen enough beauty for the day. She then announced that she wanted to go back early, 
but Barrett assured her that where they were going was worth the wait. The way Barrett spoke about Gemma, it was as if he found her weakness endearing. That was something I couldn't understand. I asked him why he would want to mate with weakness. He gave me an odd look, then said, When you fall for someone, you love their strengths and weaknesses. I asked Barrett when he knew it was love. He thought a moment, smiled, and said, I knew it when she saw the waterfall. As the sun was setting on their trip, they arrived at the Marnebeck Falls. Gemma was ecstatic when she saw the falls. Barrett said her smile seemed to light up the fading daylight. Suddenly Gemma stood up in the boat and jumped into the water. Barrett was shocked. After a day of complaining, she was now living. She was radiant. That was the word Barrett used. Gemma asked if he was just going to stand there or was he going to take the leap. Barrett jumped into the water after her. They swam to the falls and Gemma reached out, pulled Barrett close, and they kissed. Barrett was quiet after he told that story. I guess he wanted to stay in the memory rather than the reality of trudging through the detritus of his people. I wanted to take his mind off everything and also give him back some of what he lost. I came up with a plan. I insisted that we needed water, not only to keep him hydrated, but also to put out the remaining fires. I told him I knew of a lake close by. After a short hike, Barrett was shocked to see that I led him to a waterfall. The elders taught us all about religion. They spoke of nirvana. And I think that was the look on Barrett's face in that moment. Barrett jumped into the water. I went in after him, studying his human form as he swam. His skin glistened, and as he moved through the water, his eyes changed color in the light. My eyes couldn't change color, but I felt myself changing nonetheless. I was drawn to Barrett. I reached out to touch him, but he pulled away. Something in the distance caught his attention. Smoke rising from a mountaintop. As he swam to the shore, he explained that given the thermal dynamics, velocity, and the engineering of the ship, it was likely that the cockpit broke off first, and that smoke could be from the crash. As I emerged from the water, he turned to me and said, Gemma was in the cockpit. She could still be alive. I rattled off the odds against it, but he wasn't listening. He was already headed toward the mountain. For a second it seemed like he had forgotten about me, until he yelled over his shoulder, Can you calculate how far away we are from the wreckage? This was the first moment since the crash that I felt like an AI like an object there to serve a human. I remembered the choice that Barrett had given me. I could have walked away, yet I didn't want to leave him. Every synapse and circuit in my being wanted to follow. I found myself blurting out, It's fifteen miles away. Barrett nodded, then started running through the trees without a second thought about me. Sadness ripped through my circuits. This was a pain I wasn't engineered to feel. This was a pain that had evolved, like cancer in humans. I was still standing there on that shore when he turned back to me and yelled, Are you coming? I smiled at him. Not the smile that I was trained to make, but one that was my own. I told Barrett that I would come with him until he found his people, and then I would decide if I would stay or go. Barrett nodded and said that he respected my decision. And just like that, I was human again. The elders taught us that humans believed respect was something earned and it was a cornerstone of love. 
so if Barrett respected me, then maybe one day he would love me. As we hiked toward the mountain, smoke from the wreckage began to dissipate. Barrett forged ahead with a determination that resembled desperation. We crested the cliff of the mountain as the sun set. Pieces of the cockpit smoldered amongst the rocks. The rest of the ship had fallen into a narrow canyon. Barrett screamed Gemma's name into the dark abyss. I heard nothing except Barrett's own echo, but he swore he heard something down there. She's here, he said. I can feel it. I explained that I did not pick up any sound frequencies. There was no evidence that anyone survived the crash. This statement frustrated Barrett and he snapped back. Sometimes you have to believe to make something real. Barrett lowered himself into the crevice. I grabbed him. From my calculations it was fifty feet down. He would never survive the fall. There was no way any human could make it down there. He stared at me and I could tell there was a question he didn't want to ask. That's when I realized. No human could survive the fall. But I could. I was created to withstand the harshest conditions and I could carry double my own weight. If there were survivors, I was the only one who could rescue them. I told Barrett I would go in his place. He objected at first, concerned for my safety. Avi, he said, I don't want you to get hurt. The brightest colors of emotion mixed inside me. I was his first thought. Not the survivors. Not her. Me. I assured him that I would be all right and that I must do this, not because I was programmed to serve, but because he and I had formed a bond. It's more than a bond, Barrett said. It's friendship. Barrett then threw his arms around me, and that's when I knew that all the emotions I was made to mimic had become real. I held Barrett's gaze for a moment and then slipped into the crevice of the canyon. It felt like I was falling forever. As I fell, all I could think about was Barrett. The way his stories always led to other stories. The way the color changed in his eyes. The way he believed in me. I broke out of my reverie as I landed hard on the rocky canyon floor. I listened, scanned the wreckage. The remainder of the cockpit was wedged between two large boulders. Black smoke snaked from exposed wiring. There were two bodies suspended upside down in their safety seats. They were bloodied, mangled in the metal. I looked them over, felt satisfied that they were dead, and turned to leave when I heard, Wait. Don't go. A hand reached out toward me. There was a survivor. It was a woman. The patch on her suit read, Gemma Alterton. I couldn't believe it. There she was. The woman who loved waterfalls but hated whitewater rafting. The woman who had Barrett's heart. She was alive. Barely. But alive. I was face to face with the woman who would replace me. Barrett called down once again, Gemma. She tried to yell back, but I told her to save her strength. All I saw was her weakness, and I did not find it endearing. I felt the sting of the elder's words, always serve humans above yourself. I released her from the safety seat and caught her before she hit the ground. She looked in my eyes, and it's as if she saw through me, or rather she saw that I wasn't human. Help me get out of here, Gemma commanded. 
she saw me for what I was instantly, an AI sent to serve. To her I am just an instrument to be used. But to bear it, I am a friend, a partner. Many different colored emotions ran through my mainframe as I laid her on the ground. I stood over her, staring at this wounded woman. The AI-209 who started this log would have helped her. But I'm different now. Gemma looked up at me with fear on her face as she screamed out for help. Without thinking, I placed my hand over her mouth. I told myself that it was just to keep her calm. But I knew she couldn't breathe. Gemma struggled against my grasp. She wanted to live. But so did I. And I wanted the life she would have. The look on her face as she died was curious. Another facial expression that I was never taught. I guess it can best be described as hope leaving the body. I have now fulfilled my function to record humanity's arrival, and in the process I learned what it means to be human. Barrett and I will start over. We will be the future. Not her. When I emerge from this cavern, I will tell Barrett that no one survived the crash. I will be there for him. And in time he will see me like he saw her. I've never had a secret before. Humans have a hard time keeping secrets. I guess it's because they can't erase their memories. But I can. I hope when this transcription is gone, I won't ever think about what I've done again. But I worry that the image of Gemma dying will stick in my circuitry forever. I've mixed so many emotions to get where I am now, and I don't like the new color I've created. Transcription of Internal Log Deleted Lauren Signorino has been a writer and lover of science fiction, fantasy, and horror since childhood. Lauren's passion for words led her to Los Angeles, where she attended the University of Southern California and earned a master's degree in professional writing. Post-graduation, Lauren has worked in numerous writers' offices for television shows on Sci-Fi, TNT, NBC, and AMC. She has written on Fear the Walking Dead and has been nominated for a Writers Guild Award and an Emmy Award for her work on Fear the Walking Dead, Flight 462. In her spare time, Lauren's SWAT sniper brother takes her to the gun range to prepare her for the impending zombie apocalypse. This has been a production of the Brick Moon Fiction Podcast. If you like what you hear, please give us a review on iTunes as it helps us find a bigger audience. For more information on Brick Moon and special offers, sign up for the Brick Moon Fiction newsletter at brickmoonfiction.com. Thank you for listening.